And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. This is Countdown UCI, and I'm your host, Dmitry Konitsky. And today I've got a phenomenal show. I've got uh, Chancellor Michael Drake in the first half hour of the show, and I have Cabo Bayan and Cabo Modern uh, in the second half hour. So, uh, Dr. Drake, welcome to the show. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Glad to be here. Glad to be the warm-up act. I think that's great. <laughs> uh, this is your first time on on KUCI being being interviewed, if I'm not mistaken. My fr- yeah, I've you know I've done uh, uh, some sports broadcasts in the past, and as you know, a few promos here and there. But I've not been on the the show live, so it's great to be here. Good to see you. Excellent. Um, so I've. As you know, I've uh, been taking questions on the Facebook page for quite a while, yes. and, and, and I've received quite a few. So I'm going to um, give you a few of those and a few of mine, and uh, hopefully we can have a phenomenal discussion here. Um, so um, you've had quite a sinuous path to becoming chancellor, and uh, it started um, – you started at the University of uh, California, San Francisco, and working as an administrator there, and um, your – uh, undergraduate education was uh, in African American studies, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I mean I was a pre-med um, always, and um, and so uh, as a pre-med, you take certain courses, you take certain courses, and then you take others. Mm-hmm. And so I found that I could do the pre-med curriculum, but also do something that was more uh, in socially responsible and uh, historical things, and so that was uh, so I had kind of two degrees. So I actually have a, this is a long time ago. So I have a, a two. I happen to have two undergraduate degrees. One is a, is, is called uh, medical sciences uh, mm-hmm. BS, and then I have a BA in African and African American studies. Mm-hmm. Uh- Tell the listeners how you got to be chancellor and how you came to the University of California, Irvine. Yes. Well, well yeah, you, you used the word sinuous uh, uh, past. And, you, you know, it wasn't like that from my in my perspective. I mean, it was all straightforward. Hmm. Maybe the world changed. And so um, uh, the, the path wasn't exactly what I would have thought it would, would have been. And you also mentioned that I was at UCSF in administration. But I, let me say that's not how I would describe it, uh, actually. So at UCSF, my um, most of my career was as a standard uh, professor. I, I'm an ophthalmologist, and so at UCSF, I, I was a very, very active ophthalmologist. I had an active patient practice. I was in the operating room somewhere between two and sometimes six days a week. I uh, taught routinely more than than 95 percent of the faculty there. I I taught. I did research. Uh, I had grants for uh, decades, and so I was a regular faculty member with uh, grants, research teaching and then as a medical faculty member uh, patient care for years. As a part of that, I participated in the normal governance of the campus, so I was on one committee or another. And after 10, 12 years of doing that, I found myself chairing committees and then having a small position in, in the dean's office, and then that grew to a larger position. So it really was a an evolution of more and more uh, administrating administration or leadership positions that were going in parallel to my normal faculty position. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you come to UC Irvine? What was your first position here? So coming to UC Irvine, then uh, there's a bridge, and so the bridge was um, <clears throat> uh, after being a professor at UCSF. W- one of my other jobs there was that I was the dean of admissions for the medical school, and I dealt a lot with admissions policy, with health policy, and. Uh, and some of that then crossed the line to uh, California political uh, issues, uh, 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 mainly dealing with things like affirmative action, et cetera, in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, um, 
And so in doing that, I started working with the regents and with the office of the president. And that meant that sort of late 19, uh, in 1999-2000, I uh, uh, was offered a position to move uh, from UCSF full-time to the office of the president as the vice president for health affairs. So I moved, and then for five years, I was the vice president for health affairs for the UC system. So I had responsibility for medicine, dentistry, nursing, etc. In that position, I worked on a daily basis with the president and the other vice presidents, and uh, and then on a routinely routine basis with the regents. And that really was the bridge uh, to moving from health sciences to being chancellor. I worked with all the chancellors actively and uh, solved many problems in conjunction with them and sort of became a part of that group. And so this was a natural and easy evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, to give uh, listeners a bit of a taste of what's going on in the studio, there is, uh, I believe, a protest by Occupy UCI going on outside of um, outside of the KUCI studio right now. So um, that's uh, but but hopefully we can have a wonderful discussion nonetheless. Um, can you give listeners kind of a, a day in the life of what it's like to be chancellor of, of UCI? Um, are you mostly out traveling or are you uh, in your office in Aldridge Hall? What kind of decisions do you make on a daily basis? Uh, great. So I, I'd say that the um, two or three things that are true that I maybe are not as uh, clearly realized. So the job has uh, generally about um, 80 to 100 hours a week worth of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to have something that we're doing, um, one or another responsibility, six out of seven nights uh, year-round. So that's a very, very busy um, uh, very, very busy schedule. I now would be in a period where we probably have 27 of 29 nights where we have something we have to do. Mm-hmm. We meaning often these have to do with uh, my, uh, my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a daytime part of the job and then a nighttime part of the job. The nighttime part of the job is fundraising or travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the office two-thirds-ish of the time and then traveling one place or another um, um, uh, quite a bit as well. A lot of the travels to Northern California where the system-wide offices are. Mm-hmm. And then there are also national meetings and organizations and things, uh, the AAU, other things like that that we're part of. So it, it's um, um, actually quite a busy schedule. Uh, you live in University Hills uh, in in the um, the housing made for, for UC Irvine administrators and, and, and faculty. Yes. Um, what kinds of guests do you entertain there? You said you, you uh, almost uh, every night of the month uh, you, you have somebody... Yes. Uh, so, so let me make sure I'm clear. So when I say we have six out of seven nights uh, with something to do, uh, some of those are at the Tierney House. Mm-hmm. Others are things that we're doing in other places uh, around the, uh, the state or around the campus or whatever. So some of that's entertaining there. Mm-hmm. Others we're visiting other things for a variety of, uh, at a variety of times. Um, we, um, uh, over the years, we have about 1,000 people a year. Mm-hmm. And the range is everyone who's associated with the campus. We have people who are uh, faculty, students, staff. Uh, We have um, a series of uh, recitals that we like that include people from groundskeepers and secretaries and others Mm -hmm. who are working who come to listen to students do recitals. We Mm -hmm. entertain uh, civic leaders a, a great deal. Two-thirds probably of the work we do there is fundraising. So those are people from the community. And we've been pleased to be able to double fundraising actually since we've been here in, in, uh, from what it was before. And so it's a real active part of, of what the house is used for. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you're you're kind of the head of everything at, at UC Irvine, but at the same time, there's a huge underlying bureaucracy of, uh, and, and I mean that in a technical sense, not, not in <laughs> yeah. a negative way, of of departments and uh, and vice chancellors and leaders of those departments. Um, what kinds of decisions have the have the gravitas that they might need to come to you? What kinds of decisions do you uh, do you see yourself having to make sure. as, as part of your job? So we have, you know, uh, we're about a 40,000-person uh, community on a daily basis. We have um, uh, sometimes a little more of that, but we have, you know, 27,000-plus students, 10,000 full-time uh, uh, daily employees, and actually several thousand part-time uh, people who work with us. So we're quite mm -hmm. a big enterprise. And in, in general, uh, rule of thumb is that I would make decisions that, that there's no one else to make. Uh, uh, and so things that we can have handled um, by people who are closer to them and are, uh, whatever that might be, we try to have a structure set up so those things are handled there. Mm -hmm. I would tend to uh, – today we would talk about major affiliations with other uh, organizations uh, tend to come to me. So um, on the health sciences side, we have affiliations with other hospitals and things, and many of those are very large um, and complicated things that, that I deal with. and. Um, uh, we have a variety of things like that that I tend to, to deal with. I work on regents policy. Mm -hmm. um, we work with legislators on state policy, funding issues, things like that. So they tend to be institution-wide and long-term issues that would come uh, before the chancellor. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the decisions that, that you make, um, can you speak about uh, the decision that you've made as chancellor that you most regret in, in your time at UCI? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what um, – regret's a, diff a difficult word. I don't know if there are any that I would regret. Mm -hmm. There are uh, some in that In hindsight, more... maybe you, you, you think that's not the direction that um, uh, an aspect of the university should have taken. Yeah, I don't know that there were any that um, would fit into that category. I'll say this, that some of them were uh, – they're difficult decisions that come up all the time. And um, many of those involve legal issues. Many of those uh, uh, issues have involved um, very significant personal issues that affected people in a very, very significant way. Those are difficult, and I would say that they're all complicated, and that uh, if I look back on them at the time that I made the decisions, I think those looked like the right decisions to make at the time, and they all worked out. Some of them were complicated, though, in ways that... Um, um, made them challenging, but that's the nature of the of the job. What was the most difficult decision you had to make? You know, the most difficult decisions that I've made are things that would involve uh, personnel decisions or, or legal issues that, you know, we actually can't talk about, but mm -hmm. uh, those are the ones that are the most challenging, the ones that involve people and uh, things that um, uh, impact them uh, uh, ongoing. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that um, we're, these are legal things often, and um, so, you know, we're restricted uh, to speak to them, but uh, those can be very challenging. But I would say that if you ask me now about the decisions that we made and why we did them and what the outcomes have been of those decisions, we've been really, really pleased with the way things have come forward. Mm -hmm. um, right now, in um, in your job as, as, as chancellor, when you go back home and, and you lay your head down on the pillow, yes. what is the uh, one decision or, I'm sorry, one uh, one thing that's weighing on on your mind um, for the future of the university that uh, is is kind of up in the air. Yes. So uh, you know, I want to try to be honest about that. There wouldn't be one thing, mm -hmm. or there wouldn't be one thing today that's that's the same today and and tomorrow and yesterday. Those things change all the time. 
and I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but there are multiple things that continue to to uh, to be there. The thing that I'm most concerned about is the, um, the nature of uh, a really outstanding university like ours and the relationship that we've had with the state that has been the funding foundation of our university for all these years and the real daily work we have to do to preserve that. We've um, Our sleeves are rolled up every day doing our best to preserve uh, world-class education um, uh, at an affordable price, broadly accessible to the, the public. And that's been very challenging this last reason. These uh, last four years, we had three of the four most difficult financial years in the history of the university. And um, so it's been a lot to deal with and to try to continue as a growing campus to move forward in those difficult times. That's been that's under that would be one of the things that we think about a lot, and those things are challenges. And I'm really pleased at how well the campus community has responded to those challenges. Uh, can you speak of a, a particular thing where um, you've had to? You're the one that that where um, you're the one that had to make the decision of of whether a certain department uh, would get funding or wouldn't get funding, and uh, a decision where. Um, it, it had to be you to make that, and sure. uh, a decision that, that weighs heavily on you. Gosh. So, again, we, that happens every day. Right. Uh, so that's, that's the, you asked what the normal business is, and we have to make those decisions every day. We, the, the process of doing that, though, particularly in an environment like ours, is a collaborative process. So I work actively with the Academic Senate, with, um, the, with the involved parties, whoever that might be. And we do our best to come to consensus-driven decisions that advance the uh, uh, university forward. If it's uh, uh, student-related decisions, ones that tend to uh, uh, improve or protect the uh, educational journey of our students. And those things, you know, come up every single day. I mean, that's just the nature of the, the beast is that we're trying to continue to move this um, uh, dynamic and exciting institution forward in these uh, uh, somewhat uh, unstable times. Mm -hmm. uh, students have contacted me with, with questions like, uh, will my tuition go up or will my favorite professor be fired? Yes. Um, what I want to talk about is um, the financial future of, of, of the university on, on realistic terms, that when, when the state becomes a completely unreliable partner, is a higher tuition, higher aid model for UCI, a correct direction that we might have to go, like other top-level universities have uh, have have gone to. Well, I chuckle a bit. Will your favorite professor be fired? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, so, 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 uh, you know, we do everything we can to um, uh, protect the quality of the educational journal journey that our students take, and uh, and the professoriate in our forty-seven years. From counting it right now, history. Um, uh, we've only had one year in which we had fewer professors than we did the year before, and 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 they left there because of retirements that we didn't replace during one of the funding uh, freezes. So we've grown the number of faculty every year. We uh, grew by 69 faculty last year. Uh, we'd lost. I mean, it wasn't 69 net, but the gross number was 69, and that was um, an increase of about 25 this year. We hope to grow by about 80 faculty. So we continue to do everything we can to. Um, uh, 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 protect the faculty so that that educational journey uh, is is still there. The um, uh, uh, funding model is um, one that we continue to struggle with. You know, we've had these massive cuts that um, uh, uh, all of us uh, fight against at the university. What we try to do with that is to balance the way that we deal with those cuts to preserve access and affordability 
uh, preserve excellence, and all those things are in balance. So um, one of the ways that the issue has been addressed is that there have been changes in the fee structure. We've had changes, though, in the employment structure. We're down about 500 people from where we were a couple of years ago. We've saved, we save millions of dollars a year in energy costs by, by changes we've done there. So what we try to do is to decrease our cost structure, to increase the quality of our product and advance things forward, and to keep access and affordability uh, available for our students. And um, uh, we are uh, so that's that. Those are things we do. Our our job is to is to preserve value, and to preserve access. And you know, one of the things we've done a lot over these last uh, several years, even in this time of really big squeeze, is increase the amount of aid that we have uh, to try to make sure that. Um, as many students as possible are able to have access to that. And so those are active, ongoing uh, situations that we address. I want to make sure that we go back to the beginning, though. These all are the result of massive cuts that we've had, uh, unprecedented in our history, these last uh, three of the last four years. And in every case, there's been a blended response to doing what we could to preserve educational quality, preserve access, and preserve value. Mm-hmm. Um- yeah, I'd still like to like uh, to tackle this issue head on, and sure. I'm going to say a dirty word that I, I'm not sure is allowed on the radio, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> well, you know, you can pick a radio um, word. <laughs> so, yes. um, privatization. There, I said it. Um, and this is in, this is an, this is a word that's definitely hated sure, by, sure. by many student activists, but. Um, when we uh, we're, we're likely the 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 um, picture of funding from the state will likely still get worse before it gets better. Yes, and um, uh, that uh, not necessarily true. I mean, mm-hmm. I worse before better. I would say that's not the, really the really work is the work is to not make it worse. It may not get as good as we'd like it to be, and mm-hmm. it may not be as much better as quickly as we'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. But the current projections, the current budget that we see, is actually better. And not worse. Let me just wait. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there are millions of miles, tens of millions of dollars more, if not hundreds, in the current budget proposal compared to this year. So that's the that's, UC Irvine next year is still taking us uh, over sixty million dollar cut from the state. No, no, no. Just come, no, let me say the, the cut this year. Just to be clear, mm-hmm. next year has a uh, has uh, an increase in funding in what's proposed by the governor today. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good. I mean, that's that's what the advocacy is all about. Is that there's a proposed uh, increase in funding for next year. We have to get there. But as it is now, what we saw from the governor was not big cuts like we've had, but actually um, uh, some funding mechanisms that look to actually restore some of the cuts that were there in the past. So, so again, I'm not saying that that's uh, sufficient or mm-hmm. that it's good or it's where we should be. There's, we're, we're continually working on more to try to get back to the, the funding days of the past when the world was in a different place. But we don't see uh, big cuts coming in higher education next year unless something changes, um, you know, which it, of course, can. So I, so I just wanted to focus on the worse mm-hmm. before better. Uh, the first thing we want to stop is to stop the cuts, and then we want to grow back. And uh, we believe we have some support for that um, in Sacramento, at least this early part of February, and we want to make sure that stays true. And very important for us this this uh, spring and uh, this winter and spring to, to, to work hard for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me say, you said privatization. Let me just work on that. So, you know, we are in the business of public higher education. We believe in the business of public higher education. We believe in the, we, I, uh, believe in the public mission of our institution. And that's different in many ways than the private mission or the mission of private institutions that do similar work. 
So our real work is to continue to maintain that public focus, that public support, that working on behalf of the public good uh, over and over and over again every day. That's what we fight to, uh, to maintain. Our colleagues in the private university world have uh, many similar objectives, but they're not um, restrained by that same overarching goal. And so if you look at the changes in the cost structure over the last several years, their rates actually are going up always faster and in much and, and in larger um, uh, absolute numbers than ours. So we, we do everything we can to continue to maintain outstanding education um, uh, in a value-driven way for the broad uh, array of people in our state and uh, beyond who, who can benefit from and contribute so much to our society by having access to this. It's really what our mission is, and we're very different in that structure than uh, the other universities that we work with when it comes to uh, that part of our, our desire. So we're here because we believe in public higher education. Um, but nonetheless, it seems like uh, student contributions through tuition will have to um, will have to increase because uh, the uh, funding from the state won't be increasing as fast as as necessary. And, I, and I've heard projections from um, uh, from from the regions that in a couple of in a couple of years, maybe by um, by year 2015, uh, tuition will have to be up there with uh, eighteen thousand dollars per year. Yeah. Let me again. And, I would try to be clear about that. These are important things. So the a projection is one thing. A a um, discussion point is another. <clears throat> what our goal has been, and what we, we, we say, so what do we talk about here? What, what do I talk about when I meet with my colleagues in Oakland, which is where mm -hmm. I was the day before yesterday? We talk all the time there about what we can do to continue to protect the excellence and the value mm -hmm. of the experience that I hope you uh, have had while um, uh, uh, dealing with the state cuts and maintaining a lid uh, as much as possible or mitigating tuition increases as much as possible. So that's that's uh, always what, what we... I just, uh, uh, what I'd like to get across is I'm not necessarily looking at, at higher tuition as necessarily an evil thing because Harvard, Stanford, you know, uh, your, your private yeah. institutions have been able to do that yet offer extremely high aid to students who can't afford sure. that. It's not necessarily something that we have to look at uh, as such an evil thing. But I have to... Just, okay, but Harvard and Stanford and those places deal with a much smaller student population than we do, mm -hmm. and they have a much, much smaller low-income student population than we do. Mm -hmm. We have here on, at our campus more low-income students than all the institutions you mentioned. We have a multiple of low-income students. It's more than all the institutions that you mentioned combined. Mm -hmm. That's our one campus. Mm -hmm. If you take the University of California as a system, there are more low-income students, low- and moderate-income students at UC than there are students, period, in the entire Ivy League. And so the privates can... Uh, serve very well certain parts of the overall mission of higher education. Colleagues and friends do great work, great research, great teaching, but it's a much smaller thing mm -hmm. than the 240,000 students that we serve at the University of California or other institutions like ours. And, the, and so the way that we're able to do that is by um, uh, a different funding model than, than they use. Mm -hmm. And their model doesn't work for us. Their model works for something different. Parallel product but a much, much smaller um, uh, output. So there really are fundamental differences that I wanted to get across. I want to go back mm -hmm. to what you said also about the ranges that the regions have discussed. Just to, to be accurate about this, and it's something we care about a lot, the regions have often, to try to be transparent and public and all those things, talked about different things that may happen if. 
And mm -hmm. so there's kind of worst case and best case. Mm -hmm. So best case might be zero increase. Worst case would be some, something higher than that. And what the regents try to, what the policy is, is to try to keep as close to the low end as possible and to try to do everything possible to avoid the upper end. And we work on that all the time. Uh, other fund sources, uh, fund fundraising, as I said, we spend about a third of our time raising money. We've doubled fundraising um, uh, or, or each year. Um, I mean, our average is double what it was in the early part of the decade, the last decade. So, so those things, we uh, are continue to push for research and other kinds of ways of getting funding. And so we try to do what we can to keep the model alive, high-quality, public, uh, world-class uh, education um, uh, available broadly um, to the, uh, the citizens of our state and, and beyond. And um, so I just want to make sure that's, that's really the focus, uh, and that's different. The high quality on those things, that's true for our, our private uh, colleagues. They deal with a much, much smaller fraction of the population. Um, you said that the, the, the here at UCI we've uh, done quite a bit from the administrative side to keep costs down, uh, yet uh, the number of administrators um, we have largely is, is what is contributing to uh, increases in, in the cost of, of going to college in that um, we've... Uh, over the past uh, maybe 20, 30, 40 years, the, the, the number of administrators per student has, has grown so rapidly. And um, personally, I can say as, as, as uh, host of Countdown UCI, when I contact almost uh, any administrator, it seems that uh, even the lowliest of administrators has, you know, a PR department has a, <laughs> has, uh, has a whole bureaucracy associated with them. And, and so my question is, administrative bloat, is, is, it, is it still happening at UCI? Yes. So, you know, uh, you said things, though, that I would have to take issue with. Mm -hmm. So first, is a, a PR department associated with people who are doing various kinds of administration I don't know. I don't know what you actually mean. So uh, I it seems like no one is willing to talk to me unless they first talk to their PR department. Well, but I don't think that that's uh, a PR department. There may be one or another person, mm -hmm. but that person would represent um, uh, the entire campus. Mm -hmm. So that's not everybody having a person. That might be many people sending you to a group of people who have the data that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But that would be a small number of people serving a large number of people, not a large number of people serving a large number of people. I just want to make that as the distinction. I don't mm -hmm. want people to have the, the wrong idea about that. Second, the um, if you can't compare us to 20 years ago, we have a dramatically, we have multiple uh, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars more in research that we do. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the people that you're referring to as administrators are doing things that are funded by these sources that bring funding to us that allow us to pervert, preserve the quality and access to the education that, that we all provide by bringing in extra money. The state funds 15% of our uh, enterprise. So 15% comes from the state. Out of the whole UC Irvine enterprise, including the hospital. Out of the whole UC Irvine enterprise, including the hospital. Mm -hmm. That means that 85% comes from other surface, services. Many of the things in that other 85% have um, compliance and other kinds of things associated with them. Like the hospital, we run a, a beautiful world-class hospital and there are lots of people there in hospital services, but the hospital services not only are paid for by the hospital services, they generate money that help the academic mission. So when you say that we have, we have more people doing administrative things, those people are often in the kind of ancillary services that actually support our institution in the 85% and not the 15%. So mm -hmm. um, that, that's an important uh, consideration. And, and 
really important when I mention that when we have cuts, we try to find ways to balance the way those cuts are dealt with. Much of that balance comes from those auxiliary services and mm-hmm. being able to do things in a way that are cost-effective, support the academic mission and the institution uh, while we continue to do everything we can to keep our costs down. So mm-hmm. I don't want to m- mix apples and oranges. There are things that we do that help support the educational mission that have people who um, are paid for by those things. But those things we do because they generate resources for us, not because they cost resources. That being said, when I mentioned we're 500 people down, the biggest cuts we've taken have been cuts in administration. In some cases, 30, 35% of the budgets have been cut in the last four years. And so that's the, if you look at our chart, I'm going to go up to the office of the president in two weeks. We'll look at a chart of where cuts have come from. The biggest spike, the highest is in administration and administration and business services. The smallest are in academic programs. Mm-hmm. Um. If the academic side of the of the aisle takes a cut, where is that cut likely to be directed? And the reason I ask this sure. is the um, needs attention memo that, that was sent out to the School of Humanities that's stirred with quite a bit of controversy. And uh, the needs attention memo for for those who don't know, um, again, was was an email sent out to um, faculty in the School of the Humanities talking about uh, some consolidation efforts that might need to happen there. Uh, especially targeted to uh, programs that have been less popular with students, like um, ethnic studies programs, especially. And um, many have claimed that that uh, this kind of austerity is uh, just an excuse to be able to cut those programs anyway. And uh, many claim that um, they feel that that it's um, a form of discrimination of some way or another. Sure. I m- myself not being one of them. Uh, Nor but, I. Uh, <laughs> um, but still, there's. Uh, I would imagine that a huge portion of my listeners are actually listeners from from the School of Humanities or from the School of Social Sciences. Sure. Yeah, and and those schools are the ones that that are some of the first to take a cut. Um, my opinion is, in in some situations, rightly so, um, because the, the schools of uh, engineering or physical sciences or biology actually bring in money, and and those are the schools where you have you know 500 person uh, sure. lecture halls. But let me just hold on. I want to make sure that you're saying things that are true. And uh, uh, I mean, I think that's that's really important. So first off, we uh, care. I cared uh, about the School of Humanities and Social Sciences very much, and we actually do everything we can in these when these cuts come from the state. We do everything we can to protect the academic mission. So you can look at the data. Mm-hmm. The schools are the places that were cut least. Some schools not cut at all the last several years. And uh, we, the, the, the academic mission is the last thing that we cut. What mm-hmm. we cut are ancillary programs and administration, mm-hmm. and we do that by being more efficient, by having fewer people do more work. And we do that because our primary responsibility is to protect the educational uh, journey and the educational value for students. So um, we're very, very sensitive about those things and do everything we can to protect the academic mission. I'm not seeing the needs attention memo. You, you um, um, were talking about governance we have governance distributed uh, broadly, and we have uh, the faculty who, in shared governance, are very, very active. We have other offices within the administration, um, uh, the Academic Senate, and the Provost's Office. So those things deal more with uh, directly with those kinds of issues until they come to a place where I need to see them, and that hasn't happened yet with this particular um, thing that I haven't seen. I mean, I just haven't seen that yet. And then you mentioned ethnic studies and some of the smaller departments. Remember, we started by saying I have a degree in African, African American studies that I did on purpose because I thought it would be very valuable to me to be able to, I was overjoyed at the ability to be able to study things in the past. 
I teach undergraduate students now. I teach a course in civil rights. I taught it on Tuesday. I teach it next week. So, so I care. Uh, I think these are very, very important things for us as a university to uh, protect. And particularly, we would not be focused on, on things that were only those things that were popular or financially rewarding. Anybody can do that. That would be what you do if you were a business. Part of our responsibility as a university is to protect those things that tell us who we are and let us study who we are and learn about who we are, that preserve our history and our view forward. So we really have a, a trust with the past and with the future to, to protect those things that are who we are and the ability to come to a place like this and study those kinds of things. So we care very, very much about uh, protecting particularly the vulnerable uh, departments and, and, and courses um, that still have relevance. We have to be efficient when we do that. And so we look for administrative savings from time to time across the institution, but the job is to protect the academic mission and to protect the educational journey of our students. And I'll say when we make these decisions, uh, that's uh, uppermost in our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about before you leave is um, is, diverse, is is diversity at UC Irvine. Yes. And um, um, I don't actually have a, a necessarily credible source for this, but maybe you can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, you were a staunch opponent of Proposition 209, yes. um, which uh, outlawed affirmative action programs in public higher education. Yes. Um, and recently we've seen um, California legislature bill uh, SB 185, which um, failed to be signed by Governor Brown, which would have allowed some some quasi affirmative action in the form of holistic admission yes. um, at at public uh, public education in institutions. And um, uh, I'd like to get your opinion on what would have happened to UCI had that passed at an institution where um, Asian Americans are overrepresented by. Uh, something like a factor of uh, eight or ten times more than in uh, the general population. If SB 185 had passed, um, what would the picture of admission at um, at UC Irvine look like? Because I, I do believe this is a significant issue. Many people, um, I many people at least uh, high school students. I remember when I when I told them I would be coming to UC Irvine. Mm-hmm. In their minds, it's it's you know it's it's a school filled with Asian Americans, and and we have again fifth, almost fifty five percent Asian American students. Um, and I'd like to get your opinion on what what SB one eighty five might have uh, done to that. What the picture of admissions might have looked like. Um, and uh, I, th- I figured you might have some, some things sure. to weigh in on uh, there. So let me say a few things. I want to talk about um, affirmative action, uh, diversity, and our student body. First, I uh, couldn't be prouder of our student body. I had visitors, international visitors here yesterday uh, who came to talk about the student body. And one of the things that I said that I was so proud of is that a student um, uh, from virtually any place in the world, if, you, if that student came with his or her family and went on our ring road at noontime, and uh, the family was there and said goodbye to their daughter or their son or whatever, and he turned around and he walked for 15 mm-hmm. seconds, you wouldn't be able to pick the person out because he or she wouldn't look different from the, the people who are there on the campus, and it would take that would happen in 15 seconds. I, just, I, I said to them yesterday because we really do represent the world broadly. We have um, uh, there are differences in the representation of groups. We have uh, uh, groups, African-American and Latino students, Native American students are underrepresented on the campus, and we're uh, working hard and will be working hard this next um, month on yield to make sure that we can continue to improve. We're very pl- pleased with the improvement 
and that underrepresentation last year. But we uh, admit students one at a time based on their qualities and promise as human beings. And we have an incredible group, and you've met them. They're your, your classmates and uh, dorm mates and, and friends. They're incredible people who are individuals from uh, a, an amazingly diverse um, set of backgrounds, and, uh, and they each bring something to our campus lumping people who um, represent roughly half the population of the world into one group and, and, assi- and assigning a particular characteristic to that group, um, to me, really diminishes the individuality that our, our students bring here as people. And so we look at each student as a person and look at the value that that student brings. I want to say affirmative action diversity. The, the diversity is both a positive contribution to the educational uh, and research milieu that we have as a university and also a reflection of how well our policies and society's policies are doing in providing opportunity to the students who are here. So we want to do what's fair and right for individuals. We want to do what's best for our university. And we believe, I believe very, very strongly that our university is stronger when it represents a variety of points of view and life experiences and history. So we care very much about bringing in people from a wide variety of points of view and letting them live and learn to work together here at the campus. Something I love, the story I tell that I'm proud of. Um, uh, yes, the kinds of people that we have seen over the years at the Tierney House. We have a guest book, and the guest book has now um, more than 6,000 names in it because we've seen lots of people. We, uh, from time to time, have had um, kind of random student-focused events where we have a small number of students that we invite from different points on the campus that come and meet each other, and those tend to be very diverse groups of students. And I remember the first time we did this three or four years ago, it was great that the we're having whatever, you know, a uh, uh, little bite to eat or something. And uh, the students went to sit down at tables. And there were uh, some of the students were African-American, some Asian, some Latino, some I don't know, and, you, you know, uh, Caucasian, all the different groups. And what I noticed was uh, that they sat at tables uh, randomly assorted, assorted. They didn't sit um, all of the students from this background or neighborhood together or whatever. They sat all together at different tables in a way that you, you couldn't tell because they were interested in meeting each other and learning um, what each person brought to the uh, to the conversation. They got up to go, you know, we uh, had a salad or whatever. They got up to go and get cookies or something and then went down and, and I noticed that they sat at different tables because they were interested in meeting as many of their classmates as possible. And I thought that was a great step forward from when I was in college when the different ethnic group students um, who were there, small groups of us, would tend to sit at tables together. Here, I was really pleased that that the diversity that we reflect was something that the students appreciated, and they were looking to learn about themselves and their past and their history, great, but also to learn about other people and have direct experience with other people, which I think is uh, a great benefit and uh, a really important part of, of, of who we are. Affirmative action was one of the methods of achieving diversity that was would have been popular or used 20 years ago. We now have more modern ways, um, uh, working actively throughout the K-12 through system uh, and looking holistically at the real value of humans broadly. And we try and use all those things to continue to, to help us with diversity. We had a, a 50% increase in, uh, although our numbers of African-American students are still way too low. Mm-hmm. 
And that's for the variety of reasons I mentioned. We had a, a whopping uh, increase last year, and we're looking to uh, get to significant numbers by increasing again this year. We had a, a significant increase in Chicano Latino students last year, so we um, um, have good, much better representation there. Um, uh, so we're doing what we can to continue to diversify the campus broadly, while particip- well, excuse me, while appreciating very, very much the, the outstanding students that we have today. Uh, Long answer, I know, but it's a big question. It's a bit, sorry, Certainly. long answer. Yeah. Um, UC Irvine has, has slipped a couple of points in the U.S. News and World Report rankings. And uh, uh, at the same time, this year, we've seen the highest number of applicants to UC Irvine in, in UC Irvine history. Far and away, yes. And um, are you ever concerned that, that those students who are admitted won't be able to have um, as great of an education as uh, as students a couple of years ago, and uh, what do you really envision for the long term future of, of UC Irvine as uh, one of uh, america 's best universities two, two or three things first u s news um, the rankings in u s news are based on a series of easily collectible uh, data points that have nothing necessarily to do with quality mm-hmm. etc and you mentioned a couple of points slip it 's actually often one point. But so many schools have essentially the same uh, rating that a tiny thing like percentage alumni giving percentage or or, uh, donations or something can cost you a point in U.S. News. And because of ties, you might fall two or three points or you might go up two or three points. So we uh, oscillate in about the same place. And statistically and scientifically, we we see no difference in those things uh, uh, first. The second, we really appreciate and notice the fact that we had nearly 70,000 applicants to the, join us next fall, 69,930, and that um, among things like the um, California freshmen, uh, we ranked third in the UC system in the number of California freshmen that applied. So that was uh, an increase over the past. We got a larger increase in California freshmen applying than any of the UC schools. And so I think that the value of a UC Irvine education has never been more clear, never been more apparent to more people. We also work really hard all the time with our outstanding faculty on continuing to improve the quality of the educational experience. So I think it's the best that it's ever been. Mm-hmm. There are things in the past that were different. We continue using um, a variety of other things we bring into the classroom to try to make it better every single year. More money would help it would help us, forgive my English, but more money would help us make it more better, more faster. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and I again apologize for saying that, uh, for that sentence, but with more, we could do more more quickly. Um, but uh, our goal and our aspiration, and I believe that the application numbers show that our effect is that we've continued to improve vis-a-vis our uh, sister universities each of these years. And that's, that's, we're very, very proud of that and um, really flattered to have nearly 70. We're in the top 10 nationally, but nearly 70,000 uh, young men and women applying to come and join you next year as a student here. And, um, and, and we think that's a great reflection of what we offer. Excellent. Um, first of all, thank you so much for, for, for staying later. Yes, you've, yes. I have an uh, we've, uh, <laughs> uh, we've gone a little bit, uh, later, but I have, uh, one last thing for sure, you to, sure, to, yes. to end on a, on a funny note. What's the funniest thing that's happened to you as, as chancellor? Oh gosh. You know, you say the funniest <laughs> or the I most mean, awkward, maybe. 
Uh, the most awkward was I was given a speech uh, once to a very large audience, and one of the most awkward, and um, I uh, had the time wrong on when it was going to be, so there were maybe a thousand people, mm -hmm. and I thought I was on time but wasn't, walked into the room, it was completely dark, and I was being introduced, <laughs> um, uh, and so I was able to walk up on stage like I knew what was happening, but I had been, when I walked on the stage, I had been in the room for perhaps 10 seconds, and um, one more awkward one, I was giving a speech when I first got here. Um, uh, 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 to a group of new students and parents, about 700 people. That was great. And I had a nice, carefully written speech, and I had a jacket on. And I stood at the podium and reached in my pocket to pull out the speech. And I pulled out literally not the speech but a laundry list that I'd put in my pocket by mistake. And so it had, you know, three shirts and two pairs of pants. I mean, it was a literal <laughs> laundry list. And so I had to look at the laundry list and remember what my speech was. <laughs> and, uh, actually, I don't think they knew. I think that I remembered it well enough. But that was a, a stunning moment, I have to say. Excellent. Uh, well, Dr. Drake, thank you so much for, for being on. You've been an absolutely excellent guest. I know I've kept you a little bit longer, but I thought we were able to have a wonderful discussion. Um, and, and thank you, Demetri. These are really, really important things. It's a complicated business, but it really, the more informed we are, the better job we can do together in doing that thing I've mentioned over and over again, which is preserving educational quality mm -hmm. and preserving the quality of your, your educational journey. You're, you're with us for only a short period of time. These things come and go. Our job while you're here is to give you the best experience and the best uh, launch on life that we can possibly manage. And the students and faculty and staff working together have continued to make that a better and better product. And we couldn't be more thrilled about that. Thanks. Excellent. Um, so when we when we come back, um, we're going to have Cabo Modern uh, here in the second half of the show. Uh, they're only going to have um, maybe about 10 minutes, but I think we can have a great discussion with them also. And you also get to find out um, how to win the t two Disneyland tickets that I'm giving away. Um, again, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. So stick with us through the break. Thank you for listening.